Welcome back to Let's Jaws for a Minute, the podcast which takes a deep dive into Steven Spielberg's 1975 classic film Jaws, minute by minute or thereabouts. I'm your co-host, MJ Smith. And I am Sarah Buttery. And this week we are joined by a guest. I'm very excited to welcome to the show uh, Katie Doe. Hey, Katie, welcome. And how are you doing? Hi, I'm really good. Thank you so much for having me. I am really excited to talk about Jaws. Oh, always, always. I'm very excited to have you as well as... Uh, I don't think you're our first Islander, but you are our first sort of local uh, to the area of Jaws person that we've had on the show. So excited to get some of those insights from you uh, as we as we talk about this week's scene. And uh, of course, to kick us off uh, the way that we interrogate all of our guests before we, we talk about the minute that they're on for is to ask the Jaws question. So Katie, what is it about Jaws that you that you love so much and uh, why you wanted to come on to this podcast to talk to us about it? So I kind of think Jaws is pretty much the perfect movie. Um, I don't have a childhood experience of it like a lot of your other guests have, but um, when I did see it, I became attached to it just right away, just couldn't get enough of it. Um, I couldn't quite remember when I really saw it or the circumstances around it, so I had to ask my sister um, because we would have seen it around the same time. We were in our mid-teens, and she had actually already seen it once, and she was like really excited to show it to me for the first time. She was just waiting to see if I really jumped when the shark appears out of the water at Brody. And I really did because um, I am not a horror movie fan at all. So I was like really properly scared at all the right spots in the film. Um, and I still can't watch Ben Gardner's head scene. I have to either look away or like watch through my fingers <laughs> at that part. <laughs> um, but I love the movie because it's not, you know, it's it's so much more than all of its scary parts that really adds to it. But as you, you know, watch and watch the movie over and over, you know, you get somewhat desensitized to it, but the story is still there. And that's what's so engrossing. Um, mm. So we would have seen it on a pretty small TV, you know, back in the day. It was either on TV or we had rented the VHS because it was the VHS days. So even watching it that way, it was really easy to be immersed in the story, um, especially of the three main characters, but also in how rich the entire story was involving all the supporting characters in the town. Mm. And they were all so well written, well thought out, and really well acted you know especially the main trio and it's a story that you can watch over and over again um you know if you see it on tv like it has to stay on the tv i try and see it in the theater whenever it's shown i just saw it this past fourth of july in a theater on the cape and you know it's always amazing to see it with that crowd especially you know the crowd at the beach that's near the location um mm. and it's such a communal experience because everyone's experiencing those emotions at the same time whether you're laughing or you know, you're kind of screaming terrified. And you can always tell when there's, you know, new people who haven't seen the film before in the theater. And that's always really fun <laughs> to experience. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just, I don't know, it's one of the best films out there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And would, would you say that there is, there's something different about watching Jaws when you do have more of a, I guess, a local connection to it? And is it a film that 
that people sort of have in in high regard because it is sort of you know filmed down the road or whatever um it definitely is you know it's shown every year in chatham um and shown around the cape it's Mm. definitely like the summer beach movie there um and that's yeah that is like really one of the reasons i love this most so much like it means a lot to me is that it's physical location um so you know i'm from Mm. massachusetts and the east coast is very familiar and it's really nice to see it depicted like properly in a film. You know, it's not, you know, the West Coast L.A. isn't made to look like a little town on the Cape because mm-hmm. that just never works. And you can always tell. Um, <laughs> so my um, grandparents built a family home um, and it's still in the family in the 60s in Chatham, which is, you know, on the elbow of the Cape. And mm-hmm. Martha's Vineyard is to the southwest. So it's, you know, it's really close. Um and the fact that, like, the coastline, the architecture of the houses in the town, the way the the bays are situated, the waters, it looks, you know, really like it actually is the place being depicted in the story. And that kind of adds a whole other element. It really grounds it with a sense of place. So it becomes almost its mm-hmm. own character. Um, and I love it. And, you know, it's it's a fictional island, but, you know, the Cape is mentioned in the film, Boston's mentioned. And in the mm-hmm. ferry scene, there's a sign for Woods Hole, which is a real town um, kind of at the beginning of the Cape. And it has a big ferry service to Martha's Vineyard. And there's also an oceanographic institute there at Woods Hole. It's quite famous. So I kind of like to think mm-hmm. that's where Hooper's coming from um, <laughs> when I see that. Um, mm-hmm. I do feel sorry, though, for all the beach extras because they filmed this in the spring. And spring in Cape Waters is very, very cold. So <laughs> I always feel bad <laughs> when they have to keep running into the water. Um, yeah, and like one of your previous guests talked about the movie Amity as opposed to the book Amity Mm. being a place that is worth saving. And I think this location like really shows that idyllic kind of quaint new England fishing vacation town. Mm. And because it's real, I think it just adds that much more to it. So that's, that is another reason why I love it and, and, uh, and pretty attached to it. Um, Mm. yeah. One more reason. Well, there's more, but another reason is (laughs) (laughs) there's, there's so much more. I could talk a long time. Um, it's the music because I'm a huge John Williams fan. Yeah. And when I first saw Jaws, it was around the same time um, I had seen the original Star Wars trilogy, also like on a small TV, but was blown away by it. Um, so I've been obsessed with like, you know, John Williams scores and the Jaws score in particular is brilliant. And it's not just the main theme, but a couple other pieces that um, come up in this scene that we're, they were talking about. So I'll bring those mm-hmm. up later, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's fantastic. And, um, more more local stuff john williams is the laureate conductor of the boston pop so i've seen him a lot of times Uh conducting um and whenever they do a film night you know jaws is always included it's an audience favorite um and it was really amazing a few years ago to see the pops perform the full score to the movie while the movie played at tanglewood yeah fantastic um so at tanglewood which is out in western mass um it has an outside shed, kind of like an amphitheater, and there's a lawn. And so between that, the capacity is about 18,000. And it was pretty oh, wow. full that night. And it was just so amazing to see and hear the reactions mm. of that whole crowd. And Did John Williams conduct that? He didn't. Uh, Keith Lockhart is the current conductor, so he did that. Okay. But um, I believe John Williams made an appearance at the end of the film. Nice. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> it is on my... It was, uh, it was amazing. My... 
Jaws bucket list. Yeah, it's very yeah. much on my Jaws bucket list to see uh, John Williams just do do anything. Just yeah. uh, <laughs> I don't know if he still performs now, but yeah. And uh, another thing on a, on my list is to visit Martha's Vineyard, which we're well really hoping that we can do for the uh, the fiftieth anniversary of Jaws. So yeah. I mean, if it's just down the road from you, Katie, we're well, I mean we're expecting to see you there. I mean, so. it's, it's about three <laughs> hours across the state, three and a half hours, so it's not far. Um, and yeah, John Williams, he does still nice. conduct. He's, I believe he just turned 90 this year, but he's still conducting pieces with the Pops mm. and in Boston yeah, as he, well. Uh, John Williams does a show, a weekend of shows at the Hollywood Bowl every um, summer. It's always the, the mm. last, it's the last show of the season. It's three nights of John Williams plus fireworks uh, at the end. Uh, Amazing. Yep, yeah. I've gotten to see it once. And the one time, I think I've told this story on the podcast before, the yeah, one time yeah. uh, I saw it, uh steven spielberg hosted it so spielberg was on stage the entire night introducing the pieces and they didn't do jaws which i don't know why they didn't do jaws but they didn't do jaws <laughs> that's a missed opportunity <laughs> yeah i yeah I, I was i was kind of burned about it and the, the other weird thing about it is that the poster for the show was it was the hollywood bowl but they had turned it into a, a shark um and so the the and then it says john williams you know 2018 or whatever in the jaws font so Mm. the graphic designer clearly locked into you know the most (laughs) famous collaboration they've ever done and Mm. then they didn't they didn't do it at all it's really is really strange um maybe it was a missed encore or something yeah yeah that was the other thing too is like Star Wars was the encore and I was like I get it but also that's not a Steven Spielberg movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where's the jaws? Yeah. Mm. Uh they and then the the other weird thing they did I think I've told this part of the story on on the show too. They um they they did this thing where they showed the opening train chase from Last Crusade. Oh yeah. And uh Spielberg made us watch the entire sequence with no music and then they replayed the sequence with John Williams conducting the LA Phil. That's a long with sequence. With the music to the scene to show how much the music adds to the scene. <laughs> and everyone was kind of like, "Yeah, man, we know how good John Williams is. You don't know how to you don't need to prove it to us. That's why He's you hire John Williams." Him. <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's funny yeah that's an so odd thing to like pick dead silence the entire time <laughs> and like it got awkward to the point where spielberg was like i promise this is gonna be worth it like he <laughs> he, he kind of sensed the audience being like hey what's going on and wow. why is it going on mm-hmm. that's funny yeah the crowd's just starting to turn and is like singing the the music themselves or something like yeah, yeah we know <laughs> well there was it was just like you could have just done jaws here exactly yeah, <laughs> yeah. just do the whole suite yeah pick, yeah pick a shorter bit as well yeah. like because that's not exactly a long that's not a, like a short thing no. to watch no. like twice through <laughs> just, like... you just show the shark silently and then you show it with the music and that's your point proved yeah. right there yeah yeah exactly that actually that would have been better is to show something yeah, with the shark mm. with no music versus, you know, the the shark with music. That would have been, I think, way better. Because <laughs> that just elevates yeah. it to a whole nother experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think I uh, maybe on the the scene where the sort of the shark pops up. I think I mentioned on that episode actually that I I watched that scene, uh, just muted the sound and just watched the the visuals. And I do this quite a bit in Jaws. Well, at least whilst we're doing this podcast, anyway, it'd be an insane thing to do just normally when you're watching a film. But is to kind of like see, you know, particularly with these jump scares, like is it the thing you're seeing or is it the thing that you're hearing that that makes you jump? um and could argue that because i've seen it so many times i know exactly when the shark is going to pop up but it is it is the music and it is the sound that that makes you jump um which is you know just one of the reasons why the score is so effective in this scene and well across the film really but yeah in, in talking about this scene um we get a great bit uh of of score that we will i'm sure spend a lot of time talking about um so yeah the timestamp for this week's scene uh is just over a minute so it is uh from one hour 22 minutes and 33 seconds to one hour 23 minutes and 40 seconds um so in this uh we see quint heading inside to get the equipment uh because the shark has appeared and he is getting to work so he has gone to get his uh his harpoon gun um hooper and Brody are sort of shuffling around the side of the boat um to uh well Hooper is trying to take a photo of the the shark, basically, is what we learn, uh, and is uh, having a, a good old back and forth with Brody about where Brody stands on the boat. Brody is not happy about what he is being asked to do, um, and uh, whilst Quint is sort of getting the the harpoon ready in his cabin, uh, the radio interrupts, and uh, it is Ellen calling from the mainland. Uh, we don't hear Ellen, but we uh, hear Quint taking the call and uh, having a little chat <laughs> with Ellen. Um, and that's, I mean, pretty much it. Yeah, uh, we sort of leave the scene uh, just as Brody sort of meets Quint uh, harpoon gun first uh, and sort of like doubles back on himself and, and goes back to where Hooper is stood uh, on the boat. So uh, I know we're going to have a lot to talk about uh, in this scene, but we will throw it over to you first, Katie, uh, with what you uh, picked up on in this scene or anything that you um, that you particularly enjoyed about this scene. Sure. Um, I was really happy to see this was my assigned scene, just kind of by chance, because <laughs> it's one of my favorite scenes in the film. And it has one of my favorite lines, which, you know, I try and quote it whenever it kind of fits the situation or when it doesn't fit, but I still like to say it. Um, it always gets such like a huge laugh when watching in a group. Um, it's just so much fun and a funny side note the subtitles on netflix get this quote completely wrong it's very strange for Mm -hmm. being such a classic Mm. um but the scene it like it really captures i love how it captures the personalities of the characters at this like point in the story so you have quint who is very like calm and collected he's focused on you know he said we had to get to work so he's focused on that work getting down to business um hooper is just like wound up excitable he's full of energy it's like christmas morning to him he can't believe what's happening brody is still quite fearful he's tense he really doesn't know what to do he's increasingly frantic at hooper's demands to get him to the front of the boat (laughs) um it was kind of like you know the the kids are like misbehaving out in the front of the boat while dad is like preoccupied trying to work quint is just so focused and the kids are just out there yelling messing around um yeah that's kind of like the initial thought that i took away from it um and it features some really amazing physical acting from Roy Scheider. Like he mm-hmm. is just clinging to the edge of those barrels and to like <laughs> anything that he can grab onto, like his hands, his feet, nothing is leaving the surface of the boat. He's so tense. <laughs> and like his face is amazing to watch. 
as he like mm-hmm. realizes what Hooper wants him to do, like how far out he wants him to go. Um, like he finally had something to do when Hooper said he needed him. But this is not what he had in mind. And um, like I would have the same reaction. I would just freeze and not try and move. Mm-hmm. But it's like it's, it's so great to watch when you're kind of whittling it down to this scene by scene when you really pay attention to it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. So I have um, kind of a lot of points, but I don't know if you want to bring some up first or i could just keep on talking if you like so yeah we'll 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 get into all of the things that uh that you want to talk about with this scene i'm sure but um actually just like what you mentioned there about the two of them uh hooper and brody being kind of like the kids mucking about (laughs) on the back of the boat or the front of the boat i think um because we've we've spoken about this journey in the last few weeks really with uh with brody in particular sort of going through uh, childhood and adolescence it seems at a, a, a rapid rate uh, whilst he is sort of getting used to or acclimatizing to being on the boat um, but had not really sort of seen the same thing from Hooper because he's been again quite focused uh, but suddenly it's this appearance of the shark that just like turns him like like you said like a, a, a child on Christmas morning he is so excited uh, to finally see this shark that he suddenly becomes like very very childlike in this scene as well so it is like the the two siblings sort of bickering back and forth and and mucking about whilst you know big daddy quint is is <laughs> is going in to sort of get the get the harpoon and actually get some work done but yeah i i really enjoy that and this is a incredibly funny scene i would argue maybe one of the funniest scenes in the whole of jaws um there's so much going on in it as well so many great lines so many great reactions, so many great moments. It's just a really, really fantastic scene. It's funny because you guys were mentioning the 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 them being like the kids on the boat, but it it honestly it kind of feels like Rick and Morty to me. <laughs> where like Rick's trying to talk Morty into doing something he is extremely uncomfortable doing. <laughs> and Morty's like, oh gee, I don't know, Rick. And then he just won't take no for an answer, basically. Um, <laughs> I see that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's the extent of my Rick and Morty knowledge I've seen. One episode three times. Um Yeah, this scene is so funny. Uh it just so much funny stuff happens in it like and then the 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 katie to your point about the music in it the music is not scary at all like we we just came off of having the jaws theme come back for the first time in a while and now we're back to this like high seas adventure uh you know pirate movie score while uh quint is getting the harpoon ready and it almost feels like I don't want to say a missed opportunity because the scene's great, but it, it like it almost feels like there's some unspoken Quint dialogue where he's just yelling like pirate things again, of uh, <laughs> just like like batten down the hatches or whatever, just like random sailor prepare for battle uh, phrases that that don't necessarily mean anything in this context, but it feels like the music is doing that for him. Mm-hmm. It is, yeah. It gets that adventurous feel. Um, Because at the start of it, like, carrying over from the last scene, you hear the theme that's known as, like, the shark cage fugue. So it's used later Mm -hmm. more when that scene where they're getting the cage ready. But here, like, it kind of 
it carries over from the last scene and it kind of fades once you see the shark and they're out in the front. But that I feel like that part is what's making you tense a little bit because it's kind of like unrelenting and it puts you on edge and it's just that's the serious part. But then once they get out and, you know, Brody and Hooper are having their little discussion, that's when it goes into kind of like the first strains of that barrel chase theme that'll be, mm-hmm. you know, more fully fledged later when they're actually chasing the barrel. But yeah, that's exactly you know, it's thrilling, adventurous, it's the pirate movie theme that's that lighter tone with the comedy. So I think it like those two pieces put together I think are really, really great. Mm. It's important as well, I mean, that we we see the shark uh not tons in, in this particular minute and a bit, but Well, we see three tons much... of the shark. Well, <laughs> 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 um we the shark is still very much a presence. I there's a great bit where sort of the when Hooper and Brody are, are talking, um, and we're mostly sort of seeing like Brody like from behind and Hooper like up up top getting ready to take his picture, but then it sort of flips around and you see Brody like cling into the edge of the boat and you see the shark fin in the background. So and Hooper says as well, he's like, you know, the, the shark is circling the boat and you know, we sort of see it here and there, you know, swimming around the boat and and very much there and present in the scene. Um, but the score that we get is not the sort of spooky, scary, uh, menacing Jaws shark theme. We had that, but now it's the tone of this film is very, very different, pretty much from the moment they they step onto the the orca and you notice the change in the score as well, because even though this shark is is there, um, the tone is this sort of adventurous, you know, high seas uh, thing that we're sort of talking about about here. And it's the... I've, I mean, I've, I've always known that Jaws sort of has this tonal shift and the first half is much more of a sort of a classic horror film um, than, than the second half is, but it's so noticeable, I think, when looking at these particular scenes in isolation that really from the moment they step on the orca, the, the film is a very different beast, if, if you will, in, in the back half of the film. And the music definitely reflects that. And that's not to say there's not moments of horror because there there are. And we, you know, just talked uh, a couple of weeks about sort of the shark popping up and how that works as both an effective jump scare, but also giving you a laugh as well in seeing Brody's reaction. So yeah, the the score is doing a lot in in these scenes. And of course, like the the shark score is going to be the one that everyone remembers from Jaws. It's the easiest to, you know, hum along to. Um, and is, I guess, you know, people know it and recognize it for its simplicity as well and how it does so much in doing so little. But I love <laughs> the music in the back half of the film so much. Uh, this might be my favorite score, sort of like the Barrel Chase or like the Man vs. Beast um, tracks on the soundtrack, I think are my favorite. Um, and it's it's really showcased in this scene as well in sort of getting that, that sense of adventure and that sense of excitement building to what are these characters going to do next. Yeah, it's really complex and it's just fantastic. Mm-hmm. And like these periods of lightness and sort of more adventure, it works when the the darkness kind of comes back in because you're kind of you know acclimatized to you know having a light fun adventure for a little while and then suddenly you, know, mm-hmm. you hear that theme again or something horrible happens because mm-hmm. it's not at this point it's not like a life or death struggle we haven't like seen that struggle start yet um yeah so it's still you know we're we're gonna put a barrel in him we're gonna catch him and fine they have no idea of of uh the struggle and trauma that is ahead so having mm-hmm. that kind of light score here i think it puts you it puts you off kilter a little bit 
for what you're going to see mm-hmm. down the road. So it's really just masterful. Yeah, well, and then the stuff they're doing is, I think, objectively hilarious. Stuff. Like, <laughs> <It is. clears throat> like Quint, Quint, or uh, Brody and, and Hooper arguing about the foreground, and uh, <laughs> maybe the best Brody line in the movie. Uh, yes, over the iconic uh, end line uh, that he has to the shark, which is "foreground my ass" is <laughs> so good. Like, it's so good. It's so much fun to use. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know if that was in the script or if he came up with it right then and there because it feels so organic. Um but it's the it's the perfect part of that to get offended by. Like it's <laughs> and it's the perfect way to do it. Instead of just being like, I'm not doing that, he's just like foreground my ass. Like, and then he's and he's back, he's not gone. doing this. Yeah. And the scene it kind of cuts really you don't really even hear the end of the word ass because it cuts right to Quinn. So it's mm. it's like a really fast cut, which kind of makes it funnier because you're still kind of in that that comedy space. But yeah, I I wait for it every time. It's so great, and the whole the back and <laughs> forth too, like him and Hooper. Hooper is just getting like so exasperated with him. He's like at the end, he's like he's literally begging him to stay and go out onto mm-hmm. the front, and he's just it's just not going to happen. But yeah, it's a great like double yeah. act. <laughs> I love um, Brody's like what for as well. I think you know, before that he's like, he's like what? <laughs> like he cannot believe like what Hooper is asking him to, yeah. is asking him to do. And Hooper is Hooper is so excited, and Brody is so scared. So they are the perfect two to be like having this conversation or this sort of back and forth right now because they could not be at more opposite ends on what they are thinking and feeling about the shark. I mean, Brody is trying to get as far away from the shark as possible like clinging onto the boat as well like he's holding the ropes like whatever he can to sort of steady himself and uh hooper uh, the mad lad is like up on top of the <laughs> the thing like sometimes barely holding onto the rope yeah. he's just like <laughs> like there's a moment when the boat tips and i'm like oh please be careful <laughs> yeah he's, he's got his sea legs he's good <laughs> yeah he's done this before <laughs> oh i was gonna say i'm really i'm really impressed by Richard Dreyfus's sense of balance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty Absolutely. good. He's just kind of crouched. Um, but yeah, it's, I find it so funny that Hooper has like he has no qualms whatsoever about like putting Brody out in the pulpit. Like he's completely ignoring the fact that this is like terrifying him. He's like, I don't care, just get out there, go. And he he does. He first tells him to go to the end of the barrels, which you know Brody does. But it's mm. yeah that last request that goes out to the pulpit that just draws the line and i wouldn't yeah. go out there well, either it's crazy <laughs> nope <laughs> yeah especially with like how rough the boat is w- rocking back and forth there's no way yeah it's almost touching um, the water at some point yeah yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i also love at the at the end of it how hooper's just talking to the shark like it's a model <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah come here darling it's so good yeah he says like come here darling and then calls it beautiful beautiful yeah yeah, quite a few times. His like scientific yeah. brain is just like in heaven, just to document this discovery. <laughs> like he has he has no knowledge of anything else going on right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, he. There's a real difference. I think I brought this up last week, but a real difference in the language that Hooper and Quint use about the about the shark. Mm. 
Um, and I think this this is the bit that I was sort of thinking of where Hooper is talking to this shark like it's a <laughs> like it's a model, which is is just funny to me generally. But sort of like calling it like you know beautiful and and darling as a sort of like a you know an affectionate term. You could never imagine Quint <laughs> talk, yeah. like talking about the shark in that way. The shark to him is is the enemy, is the person who you know person is the thing that you know was responsible for all of you know his his friends dying uh, after Indianapolis. So you know they they think and feel very very different things towards the towards the shark. But even before we've unpacked sort of Quint's backstory and find out why he is the way that he is, um, they they talk very differently about the shark and and hooper really comes from this sort of place of admiration and fascination about sharks and and to quint they are you know they are the prey and he is the predator he is gonna you know hunt and kill these sharks that's what he does yeah and i find it not funny but like who i guess hooper has some kind of scientific detachment like but he knows they're gonna kill this animal Mm. um Mm -hmm. but in this part you know he's he's still like really excited about seeing it and yeah, it's just kind of he appreciates it and is in awe of it, but he still knows that eventually they have to deal with the problem. But before that happens, he, yeah, he's trying to get as much kind of data about it as he can. Mm. I guess that it explains why he is quite um, sort of agitated with Brody as well. Like he <laughs> understands that like getting this picture is actually quite time sensitive because Quint has gone in to go and get the the harpoon gun and is is getting ready to sort of take a shot at this at this shark so this may well be his only opportunity to sort of get this get this picture um of the shark so he is you know and has got the worst possible uh foreground model uh, available to him but let's face it he's not going to ask <laughs> he's not going to ask Quinn I would oh I would love if it sort of like did a little role reversal role reversal when he was trying to ask Quint to go and like stand at the end so he could take a picture oh <laughs> The, that, the air would turn blue with expletives. <laughs> that that that, earned, that 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 scene ends with a harpoon through Hooper's chest. <laughs> it sure does. <laughs> At least, yeah, with the uh, yeah. Yeah. the expletives flying. Yeah, uh, I I think so. Uh, I have to put every last qualifier in the world on this because it is certainly not one to one, especially because Hooper does know they're going to. Uh, kill this thing and also because mm-hmm. uh <laughs> so make more sense in a second also because women aren't sharks but i do think you get <laughs> to see um and they're also more than their looks but I, I think you get to see like a little bit of the masculinity stuff in here where like you know we've talked about quince misogyny before and that extends kind of into like a little bit into the the, the shark because there's no women on the boat right um mm. So they're expressing it sort of through this. It's it's minor. It's more minor than some of the other stuff. But I think you can see it of like, you know, Quint is like, we just have to kill this. Like, he just hates sharks. And like, we've seen him be misogynistic in the past. And like, Hooper obviously doesn't. So it's not, it's not one-to-one, but I feel like you can get a sense of like, how these men would react to wi- women. I don't know. I feel like there's something there and I'm not smart enough to to suss it out um (laughs) did any of that make even a little bit of sense kind of i never really thought of it in that Mm. sense i mean there's definitely sort of a possessive quality you know like having having dominion over yes this especially with quint um yeah Mm. 
Yeah, because I mean, uh, we sort of get into it in in a few scenes time when they're when they're talking about their their scars and everything. Both of them sort of talk about uh, women or past relationships, and I think Quint is like out celebrating one of his wife's demise, <laughs> um, and <laughs> Hooper like mentions, you know, uh, this scar on my chest is from from this person. She broke my heart, sort of thing. So there, there's there's clear differences in the way that they they talk about women and feel towards women. So I I see what you're saying, MJ. I've never yeah. sort of put like two and two together before, and they, I don't think they ever gender the shark. I don't think they ever. I mean, you know, they, maybe they say like she or he at later points in the film. I'm I'm not too sure, but yeah, I I I can see that like is something that I think would be interesting to explore sort of in like a dissertation essay type of thing because like the film does so much about like masculinity and some people you know criticize Jaws for not having you know that many female characters or whatever or thinking that it does a disservice to its female characters I disagree um but yeah the the perhaps how they are talking about the shark and how they react to to the shark in certain scenes, especially with Quentin Hooper, is perhaps like reflective of of how they think and feel towards women. Yeah, yeah. I, I I I see it. <laughs> um, Quint uh, Quint refers to the shark as him, three tons of him. Oh, uh, gotcha. Yeah, I think yeah. everyone just calls it a him or it. Or... Mm-hmm. Hooper calls it darling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and beautiful. I love it. And beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> I think it, yeah, he's like, oh, look yeah. at the size of him. I think you hear very yeah. like, kind of softly yeah. And, yeah just in awe yeah um <laughs> also i will say i wear sperry topsiders because of this scene um, <laughs> i was gonna bring that up <laughs> are they brody's shoes is that i think they're hoopers shoes. they're hoopers yeah I, uh, like, okay <laughs> i love that shot and like you know because it kind of like breaks the characters down into their like core element like Brody's still he's got his rubbers on and his like rubber yeah. boots <laughs> and he slips like that I think is a lot more dangerous like just walking on the side of the boat like right with your back yeah. exposed to the water yeah but he does that okay um so he slips as he's trying to get out there uh Hooper you know he's in his jeans and his his boat shoes and he's just like so confident stepping so I kind of like that it sort of shows their their different levels of like experience and confidence um mm-hmm. and i mean this is later down but you know as the film goes on brody he kind of sheds all that protective gear and he sort of gets you know eventually into you know just a shirt and jeans so he develops more confidence around the boat and around these people and around the animal and side note roy scheider in a black turtleneck is pretty good so mm-hmm. i'm pretty happy about that <laughs> preaching to the choir here. pretty happy about that <laughs> There is one uh, gratuitous shirtless uh, Roy Scheider in Jaws. It's much, much later in the film, but you better believe I'm ready to talk about it. <laughs> oh, good. I'll be listening. Yeah. <laughs> it's not quite Marathon Man, but it's it's still it's still pretty good. <laughs> oh. So the the I'm gonna get not nerdy about the shoes. I'm not a shoes guy at all, by the way. Uh, <laughs> But I have owned two pairs of Sperry Topsiders because those are the shoes that Hooper wears. <laughs> and the first pair was actually Sperry did, I think for the 40th anniversary, 
they did a line of Jaws shoes. Oh. And uh, I that was my first pair. Was. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I missed that. Um, here's a kind of a bad quality image of them. Uh. <clears throat> ah, yeah. Ooh. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. the, the so, poster's on the inside. Yeah, the poster's on the inside. And then on the back, um, where it normally... <clears throat> well, it still says Sperry, but then on the on the back, uh, you can kind of see in this picture, like this the stitching where it's red um, on the back of the shoe. It says Jaws in the Jaws font. Oh, nice. Uh, oh, on the back there. Those are yeah. cool. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, and they're actually, they're super comfortable, like slip on, just kind of, you know, walk around <laughs> uh, uh, shoes. So the I wore them out pretty fast. <laughs> Um, and then when it came time to buy another pair of slip-ons i just bought another pair of sperry uh topsiders so uh that's the only time i've ever been nerdy about shoes has been when i found out i could buy the shoes that hooper wears i mean they are the classic (laughs) boat shoe it's yeah the go-to yeah yeah i mean and that's the thing is most people see me wearing them and they're like oh you're wearing boat shoes and i'm like i mean yeah i am but they're (laughs) but these are jaws shoes yeah, there's a difference. <laughs> a big difference, yeah. Oh, I can't, I can't get these in the UK, so now I'm just going to cry forever. I'll have to look and see if they're still available. They're probably not, but no, I they sold out pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, I got, I got like, I got the last pair at the store. I got them. Oh wow. At, yeah. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> you can get Sperry, You can get topsiders though. I'm sure. No, nah, don't want to. I don't want yours ones. <laughs> You'll need no, to. I'm sad. I'm gonna look on eBay. You'll need to uh, <laughs> work on them yourself and kind of get them customized. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. They <laughs> had a bunch of. They, I think they had a pair of flip flops too. Um, they had like a whole collection of them. Shark mm. shoes. It says shark shoes. Shark shoes. <laughs> Could sharks wear shoes? Sounds like you're supposed uh, to wear I them mean... when confronting a shark. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> These are my shark shoes. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> oh, it looks like you can't see the collection anymore. That's stupid. Boo. Maybe at the next anniversary. Mm. They'll yeah. do something else. Yeah, yeah. the one in but... that... Uh, the, those other slip-ons there um, are the, the, the... Like, they make the poster. I don't know if you can see that in the link. So like one one shoe has the woman swimming on it and the other shoe has the shark on it. So oh, when nice. you put them together, um, they they make the the poster. Very cool. Uh, <laughs> me just being sad at these shoes I will never own. Because <laughs> if you put jaws on your merchandise, I will buy it. I it's mean, it's true. I yep. <laughs> I cannot stop myself. I. I bought. Did I send you those little rubber ducks, MJ, that they've made to look like the Jaws yes. characters? You better believe I pre-ordered those. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't need these. I have a wedding to pay for, but also Jaws ducks. So <laughs> yeah, well, uh, Cameron tagged me in that shirt that was Jaws, or it was Godzilla attacking the orca, and said you're going to need a bigger oh. bone. And I was like, God damn it! <laughs> I was like, oh, man. <laughs> 
<laughs> yep. Instantly ordered. <laughs> yep. Oh, these ducks are fantastic, though. I'm just going to, in case people haven't seen, I mean, Google Jaws ducks because they're extraordinary, but I'll just pop a little picture in the in the Discord because they're so cute. Oh my God, they're adorable. <laughs> they're the most adorable things I the have little, ever seen. The little Hooper one, especially. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the little beard. Um, the, the, I like that the Hooper one has the, 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 the paper cup and the Quint one has the Gansett can. Oh, it's like the crusher. <laughs> In duck form. <laughs> That's hilarious. The thing I never knew I needed. Oh, Speaking of that, I have a can next to me as we're recording, just as a little a little prop. Nice. <laughs> it's the, uh, I never it is a, a, a Gansett can. It's the limited I, uh, edition Jaws can. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. Nice. Yep. <laughs> they never shipped mine, I think. Oh, I was going to ask oh. if you'd had it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've reminded them once already, and they, they were like, we'll ship this out ASAP, and I, I have not received anything. Mm. Maybe at the we'll keep on to them. Maybe at the Jaws meetup. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> it's definitely available out here. You can get it anywhere. So. Yeah, I'll, I'll wait my four years for it. <laughs> Maybe they listened to the episode and I was like, it doesn't seem like it's good beer, and they were like, hey, fuck this guy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's he doesn't want it. <laughs> it's fine, you know. It's uh, <clears throat> it's fine yeah. here. It's okay. Yeah, I'm not picky about my beer yeah. really. Like. If I'm buying it, I'm going to buy something that is, like, pretty high quality. But if I'm somewhere and someone offers me a beer and I'm, you know, I feel like drinking, I'm going to have You're not going to say no. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I lost my place. (laughs) Sorry. Whilst I I distract myself with all of the Jaws merchandise that I have and haven't bought yet, um, I want to mention what I think is one... I mean, the inner scene that is so full of funny moments, like it's hard to pick like a favorite moment in this in this bit. But I love the conversation that Quint has over the radio with Ellen. Um, it makes me so happy, and I have always found that bit to be funny and and have laughed at sort of what he says because he's so sarcastic and so dismissive and he's like Brody's you know he's fishing we'll be home by we'll be home by dinner time sort of thing like he's really sort of uh putting on the act but I don't think I've ever realized how funny it is that he even just accepts the call because <laughs> uh-huh. it literally <laughs> it literally comes through like as he is you know, putting the last bit on top of the the harpoon gun and getting ready to go out and try and shoot the sh- like shoot the shark. I'm like, this is the definition of commit to the bit. Like Quinn is not too busy to have a, like to make a joke out of this like quite tense situation that is happening in the background. Like the shark is literally circling the boat, and he's like, you know what? I've got time for a gag, and I respect that. Yeah, you know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's old navy guy who's done nothing but cover for drunk buddies to their wives <laughs> for decades yeah he rattles that off Very so not. fast yeah he has <laughs> he that excuse ready to go he doesn't blink he looks in the same direction like he's i think he's looking at brody out in the front he's looking yeah, out the he's, he's yeah. looking at the chaos between Hooper and brody and it's just like ah, he's fishing he got some stripers we'll be back for dinner yeah we'll bring him home for dinner yeah, I mean, he has to, you know, obviously accept the call from the, the light station. But yeah, he could have said, I can't talk to her right now. But he's like, yeah, sure, put her on. This will take yeah. a second. Like, a little bit busy. I'm fine. <laughs> uh, it's very, it's very much like we're all fine here, situation normal. 
uh, exactly from Star Wars, <laughs> but more successful. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, it's the over and out like at the end that just really gets me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> over and out, done, hug up. Yeah, I, I, also, I'm, I'm sure she never said a word. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, she's probably like, uh, okay. <laughs> just wanted to make sure he remembered his zinc oxide on his nose <laughs> he could use a top up yeah uh also it's the the man himself uh spielberg is the voice of the the radio operator mm-hmm. sure is i never knew that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's very cool mm-hmm. yep he's the he's the he's the one who, who calls in does he call in later too or is this the only time he's um brody tries to like radio out yeah and then I that's think, when quint smashes i think it picks up yeah. first though like the other end is talking but then he smashes yeah okay yeah, yeah he's he's might. the voice of it the way um scorsese actually does this later in uh bringing out the dead he's the voice of dispatch um mm. to to nicholas cage in in that movie more more Scorsese Spielberg uh sort of connections. <laughs> I love a I love a sneaky cameo because it's it's not doing the like the M Night Shyamalan. Mm. Yeah, or <laughs> like I just went for M Night because his uh cameos are wild and they make yeah, they, 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 out yeah, the film. They're pretty buck wild. <laughs> Every time and like Tarantino ones as well. Like sometimes I'm like, yeah. I could do without these, but I I'm all for like a very subtle director cameo and I think that sort of being like the voice over the radio and i know um scorsese has some like slightly more major uh cameos uh which i know because i've been trying to long story uh trying to research questions for the uh the tables at my wedding because i'm giving them all a film quiz to do um because because i'm me (laughs) so um so the tables are named after directors so there's a a scorsese table and i was trying to find like a film that he didn't have a cameo in um and martin's just like reeling off scorsese films and i'm googling it and i'm like nope he's in that <laughs> he's a voice in this one like he's in a lot more than i than i realized is he, um, but there is are... he in king of comedy yes oh i believe so um if it's it's either like a person in the background or like a a, a voice cameo but i'm i'm counting the voice cameos i i really struggled to find like a couple that he wasn't in to make my quiz questions i but... will edit this bit out to not give away but i'm i'm like it's all i can think about right now so unless you want me to also rattle off for movie, you should probably just let me know so he d- he doesn't have yeah if anyone <laughs> wants to do some some digging if they're coming to my wedding and also listen to my podcast um he's not in the... um is one that i found he is oh. not in but he is in silence. He has like a, a small cameo in that. Because I was like, surely he's not. He's not, <laughs> he's he's not in, in that silence? one. silence? Uh, like a, yeah, again, like a small um, yeah. in the background sort of mm. dude in the crowd voice. Like he doesn't really, I think like ones like Taxi Driver are his more sort yeah. of out there cameos where <laughs> he has, like you know, actual lines of dialogue and a, and a character. But yeah, a lot of them are just very, very subtle ones. But uh, yeah, there we go. I hope that's correct anyway, and Google hasn't let me down, because otherwise, riot at the wedding when people realize that I've made a That's my favorite pop punk band. <laughs> riot at the wedding. <laughs> now, are these multiple choice, or do you really have to know your films? And, like, think of oh, I've made yourself? them. 
So we we split the the writing of the questions between me and Martin, and I was being very kind because I was like, not all of these are film people, Martin. We need to actually yeah. make it enjoyable for them and not have people just like throwing it, throwing the paper down at our wedding and being like, I don't want to do this. Um, <laughs> but he did the Scorsese ones, and he made a lot of them one very difficult and two not multiple choice. So I had to I had to do a bit of an edit because I was like, this is hard. Like I don't know these questions, and I know Scorsese films. I would like to see those, please. <laughs> Shall I send? I'll I'll send you guys the quiz. You can uh, you can test your knowledge on uh, <laughs> the directors that we have as our table names oh, at our wedding. I am not a film knowledge person, so. Oh, I love it. I well, I I told you how petty I am about my trivia, so. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, we we went off there. Uh, yep. Cameos, I think, is what we. Were yes. Told. Yeah. Spielberg. Well, Spielberg's second cameo, technically, in the movie, right? I'm going to say third because I think that guy yes. in the rain hat is 100% him, 100% him and I yeah. need to confirm this with someone. <laughs> well, I mean, we have someone <laughs> soon we could probably ask. We sure do. Uh um, I have got that question written ready to go. Nice. <laughs> if I don't know if you'll be allowed to tell us. Uh stay tuned, I guess. I don't know if we can reveal our big secret yet, but we'll uh make yeah. people wait. Yeah, we have. It's not, it's not I, Spielberg, is it? No, no. I, you know what? I'm gonna do. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do a Tarantino here. I'll, Katie, I'll let you know, and then I'm gonna put a bleep. Oh, thank uh, you. Oh, it's coming on the show. That's amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Shout out to Sarah. That's very cool. Hey, look, wow. I'm an expert slider into DMs. That, I yeah, will do it. That's awesome. <laughs> no shame. You might he as well try. Us. Like he, you can only he try. He followed us on Twitter, and then uh, Sarah slid in the DMs, and he just like got back to us randomly on Friday afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> That's very cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Almost we don't know when out. yet, but yeah, he'll be on the show. And then also here, I'm gonna do two bleeps. Uh, <laughs> is coming on the show as well. Really? Yep. Uh huh. That's amazing. <laughs> Sorry, right. I will. I will keep that to myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Inside secret. Yeah, yep. love it. Yeah, that'll be fun. People are going to be pretty mad that they didn't get to hear that, but uh, <laughs> I think it's fun. They'll so. just have, have to, to wait. wait. <laughs> just make sure you bleep it. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll remember, especially because I said it. <laughs> this will backfire. <laughs> if it gets out, it's not from me. <laughs> yeah. No, I'll, I'll leave it for sure. But yeah, so we do have someone who can who who could probably confirm uh, if if that's him coming on the show. Mm, but, nice. uh, yep. Uh, yeah. So third, because he's 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 on the score as well. Um, mm. Technically, I don't think the score track is on the soundtrack. Like if you if you buy, I don't think the marching band is is on there. Is it? No. No. Yeah. No. Yeah, isn't he so. the shitty clarinet? Is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's the shitty clarinet player in the, I love in the marching band. Oh, you which can is always pick out touch. a bad clarinet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is the it is the one that you can be like, oh, okay, that's definitely <laughs> like some high school kid doing. who doesn't know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. What? Okay, what were we talking about? Quint in this scene. <laughs> is uh he's a source of a lot of 
the comedy, specifically with his introduction with Brody, or with his introduction with Brody. What am I saying? His interaction with Ellen Brody. But then the the button that we have left this scene on, uh, Sarah, this is maybe my favorite moment you've ever ended a scene on. Uh, <laughs> because it's just, it's a terrified Brody moving to the safety of inside the, the cabin of the boat to get as far away from this 25-foot shark as possible and the water. And uh, <laughs> Quint just emerges with this harpoon and uh, Brody is not prepared to deal with that. <laughs> he very quickly sidesteps back into that front. He's so scared. <laughs> the way he looks, like you get to see his eyes, you can't really see his whole face, but like, they get really wide, and he's like, oh yeah. boy, gotta move. Yeah, that's hilarious. He does, yeah, he does an all-time great double take, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, I mean, we praise Roy Scheider all the time, but, like, the man can do comedy as well. As well. Like, this is one of my favorite, kind of, Roy Scheider reactions, uh, is, is this bit. And I think even funnier that you don't sort of see his, like, full face. You just, it's really well shot as well. You sort of see, like, the you don't see a lot of Quint, but you just see like the harpoon just like pointing up at him and then his face just being like, oh shit. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and he is like, at, at the front of the boat is uh, Hooper trying to make him go and like stand in the scary place near the near the shark. And at the other end is Quint with a harpoon. Like this, this poor man just <laughs> cannot, he cannot catch a break. He is Stuck between a, a rock and a shark place, if yeah. you will. Um, <laughs> he has nowhere to go. Nowhere. Uh, between a rock and a shark place, <laughs> a.k.a. <laughs> Mr. Blabby's infected boob house. That has to be... Oh, no. <laughs> are we going to try to explain it, or are we just going to leave that? Um... No. If people ask, we'll explain it, but... The onus is on them. Yeah. We're not here to explain anything. Yeah. <laughs> Just uh, this film. In incredible detail. The dedicated <laughs> listeners can know if they if they ask mm-hmm. you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um this scene, the the so for as funny as it is and like all the stuff going on, the blocking is really kind of great. I mean, it's great throughout the movie, obviously, but um it's something that I've really been noticing in Spielberg's work is just how much care he puts into positioning people um, mm-hmm. within the frame. Like it's, it's so meticulous. And this actually stems from uh, Sarah. I, I, I had tweeted about this, but then I DM'd you specifically about it. I just watched the episode mm-hmm. of Columbo that he directed the other night um, because I was up late and wanted to watch something and Columbo's on Tubi here in the U S. So uh <laughs> You can see he directed the third episode ever of Columbo. And um it's amazing. It's it's really good. It's it's a it's a good episode of the show. The mystery is good, but the blocking is so Spielberg. Like if if you didn't know that it was him directing, and if there wasn't like a big directed by Steven Spielberg credit uh at the beginning of the episode you could still tell that he directed it. And this is a full four years before Jaws comes out. Um, And it's the, I think it's the same year that Duel came out, but Mm. he still has this like 
sense of of framing and where to put stuff it's i mean it's what i tweeted some screenshots that i just took of just like my phone shooting my tv and it it, it looks like vertigo in some spots like that's the only mm. comparison i can have for it you can really see like the hitchcock influence on it but uh it really got me thinking about the way he blocks out a scene even for something that's like the third episode of a new tv show when he's like a super young green director like he just he was so fully formed uh coming out of it and then you just get to see if you watch you know uh like dual sugarland express jaws you get to watch that progress and get even better and it was already really good yeah i've i've not watched that uh episode i don't know if i've ever watched an episode of <laughs> colombo but i want to watch the spielberg directed one um cuz yeah it, the man knows how to direct a film. I mean, I think we've covered that before. Um, but just some of the, especially from such a young director as well. I mean, I have to remind myself like how young he was when when he made Jaws because, you know, I my picture of Steven Spielberg is, you know, the sort of the the guy with the beard and the, and the gray hair is sort of like the Spielberg of, of now who is still making very, very good films. But you have to remind myself like he was a very very young man when he made jaws and just the audacity of him to just film yeah this film in the way that he does and the shots that he puts together is like a director you know double his age who's been doing it twice as long it's just incredible what he what he does in this film and i i think that is is part of what makes Jaws so good. I mean, there are so many things that that just make this film incredible. But the the way that it is is shot is is certainly one of them. And he really directs the hell out of this film. It's just exquisite. There's so many great shots in in this scene alone. We've got we've got a lot of people's favorite shot in the entire film is coming, I believe, next week. Um, so we'll spend a lot of time talking about, about that, I'm sure. Yeah, but yeah, just so mine. many. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yours, isn't it? And and our guest who's coming on next week as well, um, I think was maybe one of the first people to message back when we put out a, a call for guests and was like, you know the shot I want. Because <laughs> I know the guests and I know I know it's his favourite shot in the whole not just the whole of Jaws, but in any film ever. It's his favourite shot. So yeah, oh, wow. that'll be a fun one. I think mm-hmm. I know what you mean too. Well, especially when you yeah. consider <laughs> he shot like this whole back half of the movie is shot on the actual ocean. Like Mm-hmm. the working conditions i mean they're famous that they're awful but just to have that amount of precision and kind of the guts to really just you know take the time and make it work to what you want like he didn't settle and just this scene especially you can see like well, the movement of the boat movement of the water even just you know getting people set up for this short scene it's it's incredible mm-hmm. i i think also that you see the um Yes, it does have like the technical chops of a director twice his age, but it also has the hubris of a a 27 year old man. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it sure does. He doesn't know that's not the way you're supposed to do things. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And like, uh, you know, there's there's uh, this story of um, when Stephen King was directing Maximum Overdrive, which is a bad movie, but um that got someone killed uh, and he <laughs> was talking to david lynch because he had uh 
someone was angry. I don't know if it was the crew, someone on the crew or one of the producers. Someone was angry that that King was breaking the um the 180 degree rule, which if you don't know, it's basically that like if you're shooting a dialogue like a shot reverse shot, you're not supposed to switch the camera to the other side basically. So there's you follow like a 180 degree line across the characters. And Stephen King wasn't doing that. And he he talked to David Lynch about it. Uh, oh, gosh, let me get the quote. <laughs> um, what? Anyway, basically, he talked to David Lynch about it and was like, do I really need to adhere to that? And David Lynch was like, you're the director. You can do whatever you want. Like, there's not... <laughs> He was like, I know it's called the 180 degree rule, but there's not actually rules to. They're more like guidelines. Yeah, they're more like <laughs> guidelines. So you can break whatever you want. Um, and so there's, you know, there's not like a right way to do it. And you can see, you know, most most of the time people will break, will set up the 180 degree rule and then break it in order to be disorienting. Um, which Maximum Overdrive is certainly a disorienting film, but I think that has less to do with breaking the 180 degree rule and more to do with the fact that Stephen King doesn't remember making it because of how much cocaine he did. Um, and so you kind of get that here. It's, it's you know, and we talked about like he's Spielberg last week, I think Rob brought up that Spielberg's actually a very classical filmmaker. And so he uses a lot of like, techniques that weren't really they were pretty old hat at the time so he's not innovating a, sh a ton of shots in in this um you know even the most iconic like shots like the 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 zolly shot or whatever that's a f from vertigo right like mm -hmm. he's he's using these pretty stock quote-unquote techniques but he's using them in such an interesting way that it sort of feels like he's breaking the Yeah, it's like you're you're never bored looking at a scene. Like whatever scene you pick, mm -hmm. there's always like something. Not like it may not be top of your like you're not thinking about that at the time, but that's what is drawing you in and making you really interested in watching. So if you're not like formulating in your head, oh, this shot is this technique, and that's why this is happening. But I think that you know using that all the way through the film is just what makes it so kind of intriguing. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, this is one of the joys of going through this film in this way because I am, you know, picking it apart in more detail than I ever have before. So it's not just sort of like, yeah, I like Jaws. I like when that bit happens and I like these things about it. It's like looking at, you know, a minute or thereabouts in isolation as we've done we've done with this and sort of like really, really like drilling down into like what makes this moment so great. What, you know, makes what is this scene sort of like telling us about what is what has happened previously and what is still to come and just sort of really going into it in that level of detail i think has just opened up this film in a completely different way and my concern with doing this podcast is like are we gonna ruin jaws for people are we gonna like make people i don't know frustrated that you know we're sort of going into it in this sort of level of of minute detail and with this fine of a of a tooth comb but generally a lot of you know people have said or people have told us anyway i've been like actually no this has enhanced it which is 
I mean, great to hear. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but yeah. also just it good that that we are kind of you know as us recording and 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 people listening are kind of like finding these new things about this you know almost 50 year old film like we're still able to find new things in it and learn new things about it looking at it sort of under the microscope and i just i i mean i do not have the time to to watch every single film in this way obviously because then i would never get anything done but there is something to be said i think about like going through a film in the way that the way that we are doing this uh for this podcast and it's just yeah we keep talking about Jaws being like the gift that keeps on giving but to to look at this scene and sort of on surface level just be like yeah it's a funny scene lots of funny things happen but then to like pick apart all the other things going on in this scene I think is just is great it's why I love doing this. <laughs> why I love doing this podcast to be honest yeah it really only enhances your enjoyment of it because watching it this way you know, watching just the scene this way which I hadn't done before but also listening to each of your episodes it's getting that much detail if it's something you love then it's like you want all the detail and all the discussion that you can so it's been fantastic and it's funny like mm -hmm. when you watch the film all the way through now it seems like it moves so quickly oh, gotcha. it's like yeah, it's I seamless think. but it just goes really fast <laughs> like i can't believe yeah. how quickly alex kittner gets killed like it's oh this is happening already <laughs> what? yeah like 15 minutes in yeah wild yeah yeah well and it's funny because before you know not that i thought jaws was poorly paced or anything but just having watched it so many times like it feels a little long sometimes when i go back and revisit it um mm. and uh yeah since i think i've only watched it once or twice uh but the first time was pretty close to the start of the show when i watched it on fourth of july this year like it was like watching it at warp speed like <laughs> yeah i could not believe how fast we got onto the boat <laughs> yeah <laughs> yep and it's like we're a few weeks away from indianapolis like that felt when we started it i was like oh that's so far into it like mm -hmm. obviously a very very popular scene that a lot of people wanted to come on and talk about um so fortunately i think it is broken down into four or maybe five episodes um so brace yourselves because indianapolis month is coming <laughs> sooner than you might think um but that that just felt like it was going to be so far away and now we're we're like a few episodes away from like diving into into that moment which is just insane to me it just it i mean <laughs> considering we're going through this sort of you know minute or thereabouts at a time we are really it feels like flying through this film now and it just the effect that has is is like you're both saying when you watch the film start to finish it just absolutely breezes by it's i i'm convinced it's like witchcraft it's just like no this film never used to move this quickly what is happening <laughs> why is it moving so fast now i don't get it <laughs> yeah and then, well katie i want to ask you this is maybe a little more meta than than the actual film but like i know and i we've talked about sarah and i have talked about this on the show before that like watching jaws like this and doing the show every week has made the way we pick up on stuff in other movies and shows a lot faster do you get that from listening to the show too like you just it, it like it makes us think about every detail a lot more i feel like yeah like it kind of it turns on your analytical brain a little more i think because mm -hmm. you're kind of like hypersensitive to yeah you know kind of the things you're talking about i haven't actually watched that many films you know, all the way through since, you know, this podcast started. But um, 
I think I definitely would be looking at more detail like that now instead of just, you know, taking in the whole film as one experience. But you're kind of not in a bad way trying to pick it apart, but trying to see if you can delve in and just get a little more insight. So, yeah, I think it's had that effect. Yeah, I think, too, like, I think it also speaks to the quality of the film that, you know, we're filling an hour to an hour and a half every week with analysis. It's not, you know, it's it's not... Uh, I mean, m- mainly analysis and jokes. But what I'm saying is we don't have to default to like stories about the making of the scene, right? Like we, mm-hmm. we're we not just listing off bits of trivia about the movie, which I feel like any podcast could do. Yeah, you right? couldn't do this with any film. It has to be really top-notch quality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and, and like you could absolutely do a, a show about the making the the making of the film and all the trivia and stuff around that, and like who was originally going to be cast, and you know who the studio wanted and stuff like that. But like, very rarely do we talk about that on on here, mm-hmm. and it's it's because there's so much just in the text of the film that uh, we can talk about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I don't know. <laughs> this is what a lot of people ask me they're like is there another film that like you could you could do this with and i'm like honestly i don't think so there are maybe a couple of films that i don't love anything as much as as jaws so i don't think i could do the sort of same analysis that we're able to do on this for any other film there are films that i love a lot and would enjoy doing in that way i think but i would struggle i think to to bring the sort of the same thing to it as i as i'm able to bring to to jaws i think you have to be (laughs) incredibly passionate about something to like want to do it in this format because uh it is a lot it's a it's a it's a huge undertaking so yeah i don't know mj do you have like is uh, people ask us this quite a bit i feel that like any other film you feel you could do it with (laughs) so there it's it's funny because it it's sort of the opposite of Jaws. It's not. It's actually still a horror movie, and it's not a movie I hate. But uh, So it's not the opposite of Jaws at all, I guess. But this is a film I've seen significantly less uh, than Jaws, and I've only seen it, to my knowledge, twice, maybe three times as an adult, um, mm-hmm. which is far less than I've seen Jaws. But I feel like I could do this with Psycho, um, because the the yeah. craft of filmmaking in that movie is off the charts good <laughs> it's <laughs> it's so good and like the 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 last time i watched psycho was for class and uh it was the 4k restoration um from the 4k hitchcock blu-ray set and it looks incredible mm-hmm. and it was after we had started the show and as i was watching it i was kind of like Oh, I know I know a lot less about this movie, but I feel like there's just so much good filmmaking on display in yeah. this movie that I could probably do a minute by minute podcast on this. <laughs> and that's the I think that's the only movie I've seen since I've done a minute by minute podcast of, of movies that I could probably do it with. Yeah, that's actually <laughs> this is where we're very similar. That is also one of mine that I when I watched it's in my like top 10 all time it is one of my favorite films so i was like yeah i could do it with with this because there's that really nerdy documentary about literally just the shower scene oh yeah Um, and it's one of my yeah one of my favorite things i've watched because i was like this detail is insane and i love it because like i 
love a deep dive into a film i love going into that insane level of detail which is you know clearly why i decided to do this podcast in the first place but yeah i i i feel like i i could do it with psycho and come at it from a, a sort of much more like analytical place but i i don't have the same like passion and love for it that i that i have for jaws i just think it would be a really fun one to to go into in that detail and my other one was i got a bit freaked out by it because i was like oh there's so many bits in it that are so long and are just the same thing um but 2001 a space odyssey is another one of my favorite films but that is a lot of film uh (laughs) and i'm not sure uh how interesting you could make uh analysis of that particularly that first half and also the like the later bit as well like the beyond the infinite bit and like i don't know if i could spend like an hour talking about just like colors moving across the screen um i don't think that i could give very good analysis on that but that would yeah <laughs> i quickly dismissed that idea but there's not many that i could that i could do in this way i feel yeah seventy-eight fifty-two is the name of that documentary um, oh it's so I, good it i haven't seen it Oh, please, please watch it. It just, it makes every part of my little nerdy film brain so happy. It's really, it's really excellent. Yeah, so for, it, for those of you who don't know, it's a documentary about just the shower scene in Jaws, or in Jaws, in Psycho. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Just, man, uh, the image I just got of the shark. And the... Wait, who's in the shower? The uh, I think it's still, I think you make the shark uh, Tony Perkins. Uh, Norman Bates. So it would be in in my brain. What I'm seeing is uh, oh god, what's her name? Who's the lady in Psycho? Janet, Janet Lee. Lee. Janet Lee. Janet Lee's still in the shower, and then you feel you pull back the curtain, and it's just it's a shark with a knife. <laughs> now I just think of like the SNL land shark. Like it's not. Yeah. <laughs> Telegram. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's scary anymore. <laughs> nope. Um, that anyway, I, watch. The, I can't watch Psycho, but I could watch that. The uh, the the scene has seventy eight setups and fifty two cuts, so that's where the the name of the the documentary comes from. So it's seventy eight fifty two, and it's just an as far as I know, it's just an analysis of how great that scene is. Yeah sure is <laughs> would recommend uh if you love insane detail in in film which on, if you're listening to this then yeah <laughs> it's on hulu for u.s listeners uh, mm, i don't know about you okay. but if you're in the u.s you want to watch it it was um i watched it uh a while ago but it was on i think it was on like bbc iplayer so there is a small chance that in the uk it might still be on there um but yeah it's it's worth seeking out it's if yeah if if that is your thing and even if you like i mean i would say you have to at least uh be aware of of psycho and have a slight interest in it to find it interesting but even if you're just fascinated about filmmaking and really kind of like breaking down a scene into insane detail like it's a very very interesting watch i think for for that reason um but yeah, just I guess uh, I should probably start <laughs> wrapping up on this um, scene. Um, Katie, did you have anything else that you wanted to to mention about this scene, or anything else in your notes that we've uh, we've not got round to? Um, I think we covered all my notes. That was a really good chat. Um, 
<laughs> I had a couple more like local knowledge bits if you would like a little bit of that. Oh, always. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, well, again, it's, you know, from from being at the Cape a lot, it's um, we kind of live through Jaws a little bit. The, you know, not with the crazy monster shark, but with the general anxiety of the, you know, sharks encroaching on the beaches. Because several years ago, great whites um, really started to be a lot more prevalent off the coast of Chatham in particular because um, mm-hmm. we have a really healthy gray seal population there. So, and where the seals are, the sharks are. Um, and, you know, speaking of merchandising, like the town really got into it. There's shirts, there's all kinds of stuff. I'll put some photos in the Discord. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the, the shops in town really got into it. Um, but there's also, like, you know, a really big question about how do you keep people safe because the predations on seals were happening really close to shore. And they've now spread, you know, kind of all the way up the coast um, of the Cape. And they come in really close to the outer beaches and people surf there and everything. So it's like, it's a really big question. So, there's a lot of attention paid to safety. You know, they have large, very large intimidating signs and warnings about sharks. They have first aid uh, bleed kits that, you know, beachgoers can use. The beaches get closed when there's a shark detected. Um, there's a research group locally doing um, tagging and monitoring. They've got a spotter pilot. So it, it makes you think a lot more going in the water. You know, it, mm. for several years after seeing Jaws, I wasn't that scared going in the water. Um, but now since it's kind of a real thing, like you could very easily encounter a shark now. So it's, it's definitely something you think about <laughs> when you go out there. Um, and I had to bring up one more thing. This, so this harkens back to like a much earlier podcast, but you were talking about Quint's accent, mm-hmm. um, and kind of what it was. So to me, so there's like a very kind of old timey New England, kind of like salt of the earth working man accent, um, kind of like New England Yankee that you know my great-grandfather and grandfather both kind of had it's not really an accent it's kind of a dialect way of speaking but to my like to my ears that's what quint sounds like so i really like that like it's you know he's not putting out a box and a boston accent Mm -hmm. um it's kind of just you know good old new england hard-working yankee you know getting his work done and Mm -hmm. so that's what it sounds like to my ears um you know like it's it's also like an american accent being put on over a uk accent but (laughs) But I, but mm. I, you know, I, I really enjoy the way he talks, and so mm. I just had, I had to bring that up. <laughs> yeah, that's super interesting, and it's, it's great to, to hear, because I mean, I, I, I didn't know that, so yeah, great to hear that there is, um, that level of authenticity to, to Robert Shaw's performance. I mean, he is one of those actors, I think, who really. You know, he's he's a sort of a classic actor, you know, a stage a stage yeah. actor who really has to do, you know, go into to that sort of like detail when it comes to to a character. Um, so I I like that. Yeah, it isn't just you know him putting putting on a, a an accent of the the region. It's like a very very specific to like a time place particular type of you know guy in that area i think that's that's incredible and it just really speaks to what uh an amazing <laughs> an amazing actor he is as well because i well i guess you you know could say whether it's it's like you know is it it's convincing or it's pretty close to the real thing like it's i mean i think it's pretty convincing i, I was talking to my sister yeah. and she's like you have to bring it up because this is what it sounds like so i'm like all right um, <laughs> but yeah like it's not it's not a dialect you really hear that much anymore like it's it's definitely kind of more old-timey but sure. mm-hmm. you know, to, it was funny. Like to both of us, like that's exactly what he was aiming for. 
you know, it mm. kind of it speaks to class like you've been talking about before the different, you know, working class versus, you know, other yeah. classes. So it's kind of just another level of, of authenticity that I really like. Mm. Oh, what a film. What a, <laughs> pretty, pretty good. Pretty good movie. What a film. What a um, scene. Yeah. <laughs> what a guy. What a character. Uh, what an accent. Uh, okay. <laughs> I think we'll, we'll, uh, we'll leave it there unless I'm dated to do you have anything else to, to add to that or any other points that you wanted to, to bring up um there Katie you might know this better than I do since you live in that part <laughs> of the country um I saw it was like a short little YouTube documentary maybe about there's there is a, a New England accent that's like it's only spoken in one town or county in the area um i don't remember where but it's kind of dying out basically it's like the last version of that uh dialect and is that is that similar or do you even know what i'm talking about <laughs> i'm trying to find it <laughs> no i don't know specifically what you're talking about i mean there's quite a few you know people you know you say massachusetts and everyone automatically thinks you talk like you're from boston but um, right that's not the case mm-hmm. so i mean there's quite a few ranges of accents throughout new england so i don't know specifically what you're referring to but that's kind of the same thing like you wouldn't you wouldn't hear that sort of dialect anywhere you know it would be Mm. it'd be limited to a certain you know people of a certain vocation people living in you know usually a rural area yeah i um i'll look for it and i'll see if i can send it to you yeah that'd Um, be great yeah because it was it was about like i think it was one town that they're the only people who talk like that <laughs> <And> still <laughs> mm. i find accents so fascinating just how it can be so like localized and not even just you talk this way because that's where you're from but like you talk this way because of a particular like job you do or even down as far as like whereabouts you live in that like small town or what it is you do or your background and your upbringing i just think is so interesting to to think about and it's it says a lot about Quint, I think, as a character that that is the the sort of very, very specific kind of accent that that he went for with this character is that's just made <laughs> made an already perfect film even <laughs> better for me as I try yeah. and digest that. That's really, really interesting. Yeah, there um, was that. Uh, I think the New York Times did it recently. I think it was specifically for America, but it basically gave you a quiz of like what what words you use for certain stuff oh yeah and mm. then it could predict kind of where you uh uh where you were and it was accurate to where i lived in california by an hour and a half so it was oh wow yeah it predicted me in fresno when i was in bakersfield and it's only an hour and a half north so <laughs> spooky yeah <laughs> like i would love to do like serious research because like same as you sarah accents like they kind of fascinate me i would love to like mm-hmm. actually do real research on that because it's it's so cool. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> um, I, before I distract myself just thinking about this, because it <laughs> honestly is one of my favorite things to talk about, um, I think we will we will leave things there. But this has been a really, really uh, great time having, having you on, Casey. Um, I hope you have enjoyed it as well. And uh, now is your chance. If you have anything that you would, uh, would like to plug, um, then you can do that or let us know. Uh, let the listeners know even uh, where they can find you on, on social media and stuff if you want. Um, sure, I can do both. So I have, I do have something to plug. It's not my own podcast, but I've guested on it quite a bit. And it's actually how I found out about your show. It was um, through a mutual listening of this other podcast. Um, it's how I found out about it through Twitter. So I kind of think they're both connected in my mind. I really like that. Um, but it's <laughs> about, I really 
my favorite TV show is The X Files, and there's a podcast called The X Cast that um, goes episode by episode. There's also you know bonus episodes for patrons and discussions, and we actually did a minute by minute uh, discussion of the first X Files movie. So kind of in the oh. same vein, not the same <laughs> guests or hosts every single time, um, but you know kind of varied throughout. And I I did quite a few minutes on that, and I've been nice. a guest on some other episodes, so. But it's like, yeah, really, really great quality show. So if you love the X-Files, definitely check out the X-Cast. Um, and you can find me on Twitter. I'm Designer Doe. Um, Instagram, Kathleen Doe Creative Design. Um, I'm a graphic designer. So that's kind of where I hang out. And yeah, always happy to answer questions or say hi. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I am not a, an X-Files person, but MJ, are you or is Kristen? Into, well, into the X Files. Our I'm cat's name is Scully. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she so. she is. Yeah. Um. So <laughs> we have amazing. we have two cats. We have Scully and Brody. Okay, I've seen um, the one cat that's like he's a twin to my cat. That's the gray one. <laughs> the gray one. Yeah. Okay, that's Brody. Okay. Um. We have we have another cat who's like uh she's a tabby but she's like brown and black and white. Um. She's like a tabby tuxedo. Um. And that's Scully. We got Scully first. Oh. <laughs> uh, and uh, we got Scully because Kristen just texted me all caps one day and said, hey, we have a cat now. <laughs> uh, I got home and she was like, this is Scully. And I was like, OK, we have a cat named Scully. now." Um, <laughs> which is why Brody is named Brody, because when we got Brody, I got to make the decision and only I got to make the decision and I got to name him and only I got to name him. <laughs> <laughs> So you have an unlikely pairing it. now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and every time we bring Scully to the vet, they're like, so is the other one Mulder? And we're like, no. <laughs> that would um, be too easy. <laughs> yeah, so I am not an X-Files person. Kristen very much is. But uh, I not for it's it's I'm not an X-Files person the way I'm not a Star Trek person in that I yeah. just haven't <laughs> seen them. Like, I just have, it's just something that has, like, completely missed me entirely. Oh, okay. Mm. Um, yeah. So, also, I'm very bad at watching television, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I recommend it if you ever get the chance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. I would like it. I just, I'm so, I'm so bad at watching TV. <laughs> <laughs> Same. I, I carve out time in my week to watch one minute of a <laughs> and I yeah. rarely have time for anything else, uh, especially at the moment. Um, yeah. MJ, I'll be lucky if I finish, finish Midnight Mass by the end of the year, let alone the end of October. Like, I, Yeah. Yeah. Look, I'll be lucky if I manage to watch a minute of Jaws for the rest of this month. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, you have a good excuse. <laughs> Stuff happening. Things happening. Uh, MJ, do you, do you have anything that you would like to plug? Uh, I don't know when this will be out. I don't know if this will be out before the next episode, so I'll plug it now. Um, I haven't recorded it yet at the time of this recording, but I will be recording it between episodes. So I am guesting on maybe the most specific podcast I've ever guested on, which is hard to hard hard to top, actually, uh, since I host this one, but. I'm going to be on a show called the Beard Al podcast. That's B-E-E-R apostrophe D uh, Al. Um, and it is a podcast about beer and Weird Al Yankovic. So uh, those, are two of, those are two of my favorite things. So I'm, I'm, a, 
I'm a huge Weird Al fan, uh, which doesn't come out a lot in this show because <laughs> why would it? Um, but I've seen him like four or five times in concert. Like he <laughs> is maybe hands down my favorite live act I've ever seen. Um, and I found out about this show and was like, hey, let me, I need to be a part of this. <laughs> so um, I am on there talking about, uh, actually it's, I think, I think it's kind of an interesting uh, topic. I'm going to be on there talking about songs that people think are by Weird Al, but are actually not by Weird Al. Oh, interesting. That's yep, pretty cool. Which is nerdy as hell. Um, <laughs> Niche. I love it. <laughs> yep. Uh, and then also we'll talk about, I, I think you have to drink, I don't think you have to, that'd be weird to bar people, but um, you drink a beer during it, and so I think you talk about the beer that you're drinking as well. Um, on it so i haven't picked out what beer I'll, I'll be drinking so tune into that to find out what beer i drink on the podcast well hopefully it'll be a, a cool can of gansett uh, <laughs> if it ever arrives i'm still yeah. hopeful uh that i'm keeping the the hope alive that you will have your crate soon uh if not i will dm them again if you need uh, to send you one <laughs> let me know i would do it for you oh yeah. i appreciate that a single can <laughs> yeah fine with that that's right <laughs> Yeah, uh, I uh, have, I guess I can plug some of my writing. So in, because uh, I, I apparently don't have enough to do at the moment with a podcast and uh, planning a wedding, um, I uh, have uh, recently been offered a feature writer position for Looper. Uh, they're an entertainment site. Um, it's quite a chaotic website. If you just read like one post, you will be there forever more because it then just offers you like something else to read. Um, so <laughs> uh, you can end up in that endless uh, cycle of content if you would like, or you can just find my article that I uh, that I wrote, um, which is exceptionally on brand for my first article for them. Uh, it's about Disney, and there is a Jaws reference in it. Um, so it is uh, <laughs> weird, weird stuff about Disney, uh, like kind of weird behind the scenes uh facts or like things they've hidden in movies so yeah a tapping into that thing that i love doing which is finding all the weird and obscure things about a film um and then writing about them so yeah i um i think it's it's currently my pinned tweet on twitter so you can find it there um uh or just search for looper disney facts thing and you should find it. that's a terrible way to plug it i'll post the link uh and then you will find it there um and uh i'm hoping at some point that i can like write some stuff about jaws on there as well i did tell them in my application i was like disney and jaws that's my thing i can write anything you like about those things or both of them at the same time uh we'll see um so yes, uh, <laughs> you can go and read that uh, if you're interested in that. Uh, you can find uh, us uh, as the show on Twitter. We are at Jaws for a minute. Um, you can DM us on there or you can send us an email if you don't use Twitter. Uh, Jaws for a minute at gmail.com is how you do that. Um, you can follow us individually. I am at Sarah Buddery and MJ is at MJ Smith 891. A uh, couple of ways you can support the show. Uh, so you can rate, review and subscribe on your podcatcher of choice um, and just tell everyone you know uh, about us. That would uh, be really, really great. Um, you can purchase our merchandise through TeePublic and Redbubble. The link is in our Twitter bio for those stores. Um, you can follow our designer, Alex. Uh, he is at HexGhosts on Twitter. Um, you can purchase our theme song. So the link, again, is in our Twitter bio uh, and it is by uh, Kristen. You can find her on Instagram at Kristen Falls Music. Uh, the link to purchase the theme song is also in her bio on Instagram as well. 
Um, you can also uh, buy us a, a, a coffee or donate through our coffee page and a special shout out uh, to Michael Pettigrew who did just that. Uh, so we appreciate you and thank you for your donation. Uh, and if you would like to donate as well, you will get a shout out on the show and you'll be eligible for our next competition. So when we hit our next donation goal, uh, we will do a draw and you will be eligible to win a t-shirt. Uh, that is if you have donated in the past or if you donate at some point in the future, you'll be el eligible for those contests unless you have already won. Um, so yeah, if you are able to support us in that way, we really, really appreciate that. Uh, I think that is uh, that is everything for this week. So until next time, it's Jaws O'Clock somewhere. <laughs>